Hello, everyone. My name is Paul Webster, and welcome to Shades of Progress. And uh, my guest this morning is Jessica Wisniewski, a co-director of Citizen Action of New York, and also uh, one of the co-chairs of the Working Families Party of New York. Uh, welcome, Jessica. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me, Paul. This is this is great. Um, you know, we we're living in some really exciting uh, times, and uh, as we uh, broadcast this morning, uh, we're finding out that uh, President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump are testing positive for the uh, COVID nineteen uh, virus that has just impacted more than seven million uh, Americans and uh, unfortunately caused more than two hundred thousand deaths as of uh, this moment uh, and uh, it's it's very ironic that uh, the virus that the president for a very long time said was a hoax and denied it for many months and now he is one of the 34 million sufferers around the world who have been impacted by this um, uh, Jess what do you, what do you have to say about this and, and what are your thoughts what is there to say i mean it's 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 just an am amazing turn of events right every day we wake up to just kind of a new crisis right individual crisis on top of crisis um and you know i i think that hopefully this will have the president having a deeper sense of seriousness and sympathy about you know how people have been so dramatically impacted uh, by this horrible virus and and just how maybe it'll finally make him realize just how serious it is um, because we certainly have needed that and we've needed that leadership we're so desperate for um, leadership in this country um, and and just the opposite has happened under this president so you know for for so many of us we all knew the crisis our communities were facing pre-pandemic, right? For for so long, Citizen Action, um, Working Families Party, and so many organizations had been organizing for years now to make sure our communities um, get what they need to, to survive and thrive. Um, and then the pandemic hitting just really exposed um, how fragile our communities, our society, our economy really is. Um, so you know, we all turn toward this most important moment in 2020, which is election day. Um, and it's, it's certainly at the top of everyone's minds this morning as we read the news. Absolutely. Um, with election day now about 32, 31 days away, um, we're going to have a, 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 a overwhelming number of Americans that are going to come out uh, to vote. In fact, you know, as you know, about two dozen states right now are doing early voting, and according to CNN and other news sources, more than 1.2 million people uh, have voted so far. Um, what are your thoughts on early voting across the country and why people need to get out now? Or in New York, uh, we have our early voting period between October 24th and November 1st. Why is it so important to get out early? Yeah, I mean, I would just start, actually, Paul, by reminding folks that early voting is new for New York, right? 
after years we've been battling in the halls of Albany saying this is just basic common sense. Uh, we must have early voting and increase, you know, constantly trying to increase democracy and make it an inclusive democracy. One of our biggest arguments, of course, was, you know, working people needing time and needing flexibility in order to do their duty of casting their ballot and that that doesn't work for all working families in just one day. Um, and so um, expanding early voting was a key um, goal of ours um, after years of Senate Republicans in Albany blocking that measure. Um, when the Senate uh, flipped and started a Democratic majority under Andrea Stewart-Cousins in 2019, a whole gamut of voting rights reforms was on the docket, and they moved very quickly. And early voting, thankfully, was one of them. Um, and so we really opened up the democracy here in New York. Many other states had already done it. And it's just such a critical tool to expand and create an inclusive democracy so many people, you know, have been have, have been pushed out, pushed aside, um, kept from um, this this critical aspect of our our democracy is voting, and so early voting, you know, really opens up that process. Um, and we're going to have a ton of mail in in voting, right, in New York absentee ballot voting, uh, which is going to take a lot of time on the back end um, to make sure all those votes are counted. And so, and you know, there's going to be huge voter turnout. And we know that, um, you know, in some places lines are long. So the, the more, you know, more people get out early, get it taken care of, uh, get it done. You can feel better. It's done and over with. You've cast your ballot. You know it's going to be counted. Um, so get there early if you can. That is true. So, Jessica, you know, earlier this week, the president complained that there was going to be massive voter fraud like what we're seeing in New York with all of the hundreds of thousands of absentee and other mail-in ballots being sent to voters here. Um, what are the major parties doing, the Working Families Party uh, included, doing to uh, protect and preserve uh, the security of the, uh, the votes in the electoral system? And what proof is there that there is uh, the massive fraud that um, President Trump claims. Yeah, you know, this is one of the oldest, you know, uh, plays in the playbook for for certainly the, the um, Republican Party um, has, you know, said forever that voting is fraudulent of all kinds, right? That there's voter fraud everywhere. And we know there's extensive research that reveals that fraud is very rare. Um, I, I often cite um, our, our uh, colleagues at the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU Law School who, who have studied this extensively. They've um, been fierce defenders of democracy, um, and they just have a full stack of, of expert reports written about unveiling the truth, right, around this myth of voter fraud. Um, and we know mistakes do happen. And so what we have always done is try to ensure um, that our boards of elections are funded fully, right? So many of the austerity measures in state government, especially, but certainly in other states, um, people who don't want voting to succeed, people who want to suppress the vote, certainly like to make sure there's no funding to make sure voting can happen and can happen well. Um, but New York has really um, poured in 
especially in a pandemic, right, when things are even much more difficult. Um, a lot of poll workers, training them up, new uh, people are coming into that. Young people who have who have really gotten the civic bug um, are playing the role of poll workers these days in this election for the first time, which is really exciting and really just increasing the knowledge of basic voting rights, right, and and the values of why we hold that dear and finding ways to expand the vote. Um, and so, you know, they'll always say it's fraudulent because they don't, they want to scare people away. It's a form of voter suppression. And it's what we have been fighting um, for people who believe in justice um, from the civil rights movement to uh, this year, the, the um, anniversary of, of women's suffrage. We have been fighting for centuries to ensure the right to vote in a secure election. And we will continue that. And the way that we prove it wrong is by going and voting and doing that process um, as, as individual voters. I was actually really inspired the other night in the debate that Joe Biden really just reminded us of that, right? This is our right. We have this power. It, it, for some, it might be sim seem simple or small, but it is just one of the most deeply rooted values um, and, and, and things that we do um, as, as Americans. Um, you know, so. I'm, I'm so glad that you uh, pivoted uh, to the debate. I wanted to get your opinion on uh, Tuesday night's uh, uh, debacle in, uh, in, in Cleveland uh, as uh, Joe Biden, the uh, Democratic uh, uh, presidential nominee, and, and President Trump squared off uh, with um, uh, uh, not too much success, in my opinion. Hello, everyone. My name's Paul Webster, and welcome to Shades of Progress. And uh, my guest this morning is Jessica Wisniewski, a co-director of Citizen Action of New York and also uh, one of the co-chairs of the Working Families Party of New York. Uh, welcome, Jessica. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me, Paul. This is this is great. Um, you know, we we're living in some really exciting uh, times, and uh, as we uh, broadcast this morning, uh, we're finding out that uh, President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump are testing positive for the uh, COVID nineteen uh, virus that has just impacted more than 7 million uh, Americans and uh, unfortunately caused more than 200,000 deaths as of uh, this moment. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very ironic that uh, the virus that the president for a very long time said was a hoax and denied it for many months. And now he is one of the 34 million sufferers around the world who have been impacted by this. Um, uh, Jess, what do you, what do you have to say about this, and, and what are your thoughts? What is there to say? I mean, it's 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 just an am amazing turn of events, right? Every day we wake up to just kind of a new crisis, right? Individual crisis on top of crisis, um, and you know, I I think the. Hopefully, this will have the president having a deeper sense of 
seriousness and sympathy about, you know, how people have been so dramatically impacted uh, by this horrible virus and, and just how maybe it'll finally make him realize just how serious it is. Um, because we certainly have needed that, and we've needed that leadership. We're so desperate for um, leadership in this country, um, and and just the opposite has happened under this president. So, you know, for, for so many of us, we all knew the crisis our communities were facing pre-pandemic, right, for, for so long, Citizen Action, um, Working Families Party, and so many organizations had been organizing for years now to make sure our communities um, get what they need to, to survive and thrive. Um, and then the pandemic hitting just really exposed um, how fragile our communities, our society, our economy really is. Um, so, you know, we all turn toward this most important moment in 2020, which is election day. Um, and it's, it's certainly at the top of everyone's minds this morning as we read the news. Absolutely. Um, with Election Day now about 32, 31 days away, um, we're going to have a, 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 a overwhelming number of Americans that are going to come out uh, to vote. In fact, you know, as you know, about two dozen states right now are doing early voting. And according to CNN and other news sources, more than 1.2 million people uh, have voted so far. Um, what are your thoughts on early voting across the country and why people need to get out now? Or in New York, uh, we have our early voting period between October 24th and November 1st. Why is it so important to get out early? Yeah, I mean, I would just start actually, Paul, by reminding folks that early voting is new for New York, right? After years, we've been battling in the halls of Albany saying this is just basic common sense. Uh, we must have early voting and increase, you know, constantly trying to increase democracy and make it an inclusive democracy. One of our biggest arguments, of course, was, you know, working people needing time and needing flexibility in order to do their duty of casting their ballot and that that doesn't work for all working families in just one day. Um, and so um, expanding early voting was a key um, goal of ours. Um, after years of Senate Republicans in Albany blocking that measure, um, when the Senate uh, flipped and started a Democratic majority under Andrea Stewart-Cousins in 2019, a whole gamut of voting rights reforms was on the docket, and they moved very quickly. And early voting, thankfully, was one of them. Um, and so we really opened up the democracy here in New York. Many other states had already done it. And it's just such a critical tool to expand and create an inclusive democracy so many people, you know, have been have, have been pushed out, pushed aside, um, kept from um, this this critical aspect of our our democracy is voting, and so early voting, you know, really opens up that process. Um, and we're going to have a ton of mail in in voting, right, in New York absentee ballot voting, uh, which is going to take a lot of time on the back end um, to make sure all those votes are counted. And so, and you know, there's going to be huge voter turnout. And we know that, um, you know, in some places, lines are long. So the, the more, you know, more people get out early, get it taken care of, uh, get it done. You can feel better. It's done and over with. You've cast your ballot. You know it's going to be counted. 
Um, so get there early if you can. That is true. So, Jessica, you know, earlier this week, the president complained that there was going to be massive voter fraud, like what we're seeing in New York with all of the hundreds of thousands of absentee and other mail-in ballots being sent to voters here. Um, what are the major parties doing, the Working Families Party uh, included, doing to uh, protect and preserve uh, the security of the, uh, the votes in the electoral system? And what proof is there that there is uh, the massive fraud that um, President Trump claims? Yeah, you know, this is one of the oldest, you know, uh, plays in the playbook for, for certainly the, the um, con Republican Party um, has, you know, said forever that voting is fraudulent of all kinds, right, that there's voter fraud everywhere. And we know there's extensive research that reveals that fraud is very rare. Um, I, I often cite um, our, our uh, colleagues at the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU Law School who, who have studied this extensively. They've um, been fierce defenders of democracy, um, and they just have a full stack of, of expert reports written about unveiling the truth, right, around this myth of voter fraud. Um, and we know mistakes do happen. And so what we have always done is try to ensure um, that our boards of elections are funded fully, right? So many of the austerity measures in state government, especially, but certainly in other states, um, people who don't want voting to succeed, people who want to suppress the vote, certainly like to make sure there's no funding to make sure voting can happen and can happen well. Um, but New York has really um, poured in, especially in a pandemic, right, when things are even much more difficult, um, a lot of poll workers, training them up, new uh, people are coming into that, young people who have who have really gotten the civic bug um, are playing the role of poll workers these days in this election for the first time, which is really exciting, and really just increasing the knowledge of basic voting rights, right, and and the values of why we hold that dear, and finding ways to expand the vote. Um, and so, you know, they'll always say it's fraudulent because they don't they want to scare people away. It's a form of voter suppression, and it's what we have been fighting um, for people who believe in justice, um, from the civil rights movement to. Uh, this year, the, the um, anniversary of, of women's suffrage, we have been fighting for centuries to ensure the right to vote in a secure election, and we will continue that. And the way that we prove it wrong is by going and voting and doing that process um, as, as individual voters. I was actually really inspired the other night in the debate that Joe Biden really just reminded us of that, right? this is our right, we have this power. It, it, for some, it might be sim seem simple or small, but it is just one of the most deeply rooted values um, and, and, and things that we do um, as, as Americans. Um, you know, so. I'm, I'm so glad that you uh, pivoted uh, to the debate. I wanted to get your opinion on uh, Tuesday night's uh, uh, debacle in, uh, in, in Cleveland uh, as uh, Joe Biden, the uh, Democratic 
uh, uh, presidential nominee and, and President Trump squared off uh, with um, uh, uh, not too much success in my opinion. Hello everyone, my name is Paul Webster and welcome to Shades of Progress and uh, my guest this morning is Jessica Wisniewski, a co-director of Citizen Action of New York and also uh, one of the co-chairs of the Working Families Party of New York. Uh, welcome, Jessica. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me, Paul. This is this is great. Um, you know, we, we're living in some really exciting uh, times, and uh, as we uh, broadcast this morning, uh, we're finding out that uh, President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump are testing positive for the uh, COVID-19 uh, virus that has just impacted more than 7 million uh, Americans and uh, unfortunately caused more than 200,000 deaths as of uh, this moment. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very ironic that uh, the virus that the president for a very long time said was a hoax and denied it for many months and now he is one of the 34 million sufferers around the world who have been impacted by this. Um, uh, Jess, what do, you, what do you have to say about this, and, and what are your thoughts? What is there to say? I mean, it's, it's, it's just an am amazing turn of events, right? Every day we wake up to just kind of a new crisis, right? Individual crisis on top of crisis. Um, and, you know, I, I think that hopefully this will have the president having a deeper sense of seriousness and sympathy about, you know, how people have been so dramatically impacted uh, by this horrible virus and, and just how maybe it'll finally make him realize just how serious it is. Um, because we certainly have needed that, and we've needed that leadership. We're so desperate for um, leadership in this country, um, and and just the opposite has happened under this president. So, you know, for for so many of us, we all knew the crisis our communities were facing pre-pandemic, right? For for so long, Citizen Action, um, Working Families Party, and so many organizations had been organizing for years now to make sure our communities um, get what they need to, to survive and thrive. Um, and then the pandemic hitting just really exposed um, how fragile our communities, our society, our economy really is. Um, so, you know, we all turn toward this most important moment in 2020, which is election day. Um, and it's, it's certainly at the top of everyone's minds this morning as we read the news. Absolutely. Um, with Election Day now about 32, 31 days away, um, we're going to have a, 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 a overwhelming number of Americans that are going to come out uh, to vote. In fact, you know, as you know, about two dozen states right now are doing early voting. And according to CNN and other news sources, more than 1.2 million people uh, have voted so far. Um, what are your thoughts on early voting across the country and why people need to get out now or in New York 
uh, we have our early voting period between October 24th and November 1st. Why is it so important to get out early? Yeah, I mean, I would just start, actually, Paul, by reminding folks that early voting is new for New York, right? After years, we've been battling in the halls of Albany saying this is just basic common sense. Uh, we must have early voting and increase, you know, constantly trying to increase democracy and make it an inclusive democracy. One of our biggest arguments, of course, was, you know, working people needing time and needing flexibility in order to do their duty of casting their ballot and that that doesn't work for all working families in just one day. Um, and so um, expanding early voting was a key um, goal of ours um, after years of Senate Republicans in Albany blocking that measure. Um, when the Senate uh, flipped and started a Democratic majority under Andrea Stewart-Cousins in 2019, a whole gamut of voting rights reforms was on the docket, and they moved very quickly. And early voting, thankfully, was one of them. Um, and so we really opened up the democracy here in New York. Many other states had already done it. And it's just such a critical tool to expand and create an inclusive democracy so many people, you know, have been have, have been pushed out, pushed aside, um, kept from um, this this critical aspect of our our democracy is voting, and so early voting, you know, really opens up that process. Um, and we're going to have a ton of mail in in voting, right, in New York absentee ballot voting, uh, which is going to take a lot of time on the back end um, to make sure all those votes are counted. And so, and you know, there's going to be huge voter turnout. And we know that, um, you know, in some places, lines are long. So the, the more, you know, more people get out early, get it taken care of, uh, get it done. You can feel better. It's done and over with. You've cast your ballot. You know it's going to be counted. Um, so get there early if you can. That is true. So, Jessica, you know, earlier this week, the president complained that there was going to be massive voter fraud like what we're seeing in New York with all of the hundreds of thousands of absentee and other mail-in ballots being sent to voters here. Um, what are the major parties doing, the Working Families Party uh, included, doing to uh, protect and preserve uh, the security of the, uh, the votes in the electoral system? And what proof is there that there is uh, the massive fraud that um, President Trump claims. Yeah, you know, this is one of the oldest, you know, uh, plays in the playbook for for certainly the, the um, con Republican Party um, has, you know, said forever that voting is fraudulent of all kinds, right? That there's voter fraud everywhere. And we know there's extensive research that reveals that fraud is very rare. Um, I, I often cite um, our, our uh, colleagues at the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU Law School who, who have studied this extensively. They've um, been fierce defenders of democracy, um, and they just have a full stack of, of expert reports written about unveiling the truth, right, around this myth of voter fraud. Um, and we know mistakes do happen. And so what we have always done is try to ensure um, that our boards of elections are funded fully, right? So many of the austerity measures in state government, especially, but certainly in other states, 
um, people who don't want voting to succeed, people who want to suppress the vote, certainly like to make sure there's no funding to make sure voting can happen and can happen well. Um, but New York has really um, poured in, especially in a pandemic, right, when things are even much more difficult, um, a lot of poll workers, training them up, new uh, people are coming into that. Young people who have who have really gotten the civic bug um, are playing the role of poll workers these day, uh, in this election for the first time, which is really exciting and really just increasing the knowledge of basic voting rights, right, and and the values of why we hold that dear and finding ways to expand the vote. Um, and so, you know, they'll always say it's fraudulent because they don't they want to scare people away. It's a form of voter suppression. And it's what we have been fighting um, for people who believe in justice um, from the civil rights movement to uh, this year, the, the um, anniversary of, of women's suffrage. We have been fighting for centuries to ensure the right to vote in a secure election. And we will continue that. And the way that we prove it wrong is by going and voting and doing that process um, as, as individual voters. I was actually really inspired the other night in the debate that Joe Biden really just reminded us of that, right? This is our right. We have this power. It, it, for some, it might be sim seem simple or small, but it is just one of the most deeply rooted values um, and, and, and things that we do um, as, as Americans. Um, you know, so. I'm, I'm so glad that you uh, pivoted uh, to the debate. I wanted to get your opinion on uh, Tuesday night's uh, uh, debacle in, uh, in, in Cleveland uh, as uh, Joe Biden, the uh, Democratic uh, uh, presidential nominee, and, and President Trump squared off uh, with um, uh, uh, not too much success, in my opinion. And hello, we're back. Um, it's Paul Webster, your host here today on Shades of Progress. And my guest is Jessica Wisniewski, co-executive director of Citizen Action of New York and co-executive, uh, well, co-director of the Working Families Party uh, of New York State as well, and we were just getting to a discussion of the presidential debate that took place uh, this past Tuesday in Cleveland, Ohio, between uh, President uh, Donald Trump and Democratic uh, nominee uh, Joe Biden. And uh, Jessica, I have I have to say that you know after many years of watching presidential debates or you know, following uh, national and, and, like yourself, statewide politics here in New York, that had to be absolutely one of the most uh, dreadful uh, debates that I have ever heard um, in, in, my, uh, in, my, in my career just because of the, um, the combative nature. It wasn't really a debate. It was almost an argument on on the street corner in Manhattan <laughs> between two two uh, opposing uh, uh, persons uh, just really just dissing each other. Uh, it really wasn't a debate uh, where we heard uh, the differences between the parties' platforms uh, on education, on health care, on civil rights and social justice, on women's rights, on 
the courts on just the so many uh, important issues impacting everyday Americans and and our standing around the world. And we just didn't have an opportunity to hear that. And I thought it was intentional just to avoid everything. Deny, 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 lie, call names and and deny, deny, deny some more. Um, make up some facts and deny, deny, lie, call names and, and interrupt. Uh, what did you think about the, the debate and am I wrong in my opinion? <laughs> no, I would agree with everything you just said. Um, definitely kind of a train wreck to watch. I mean, difficult, you know, actually harmful for people to watch in some ways um, at just what, how what a sad place we're in as a country. Um, you know, Trump was playing to his base who like a bully. They they like that he is mean. They like that he um, interrupts and is disrespectful. Um, and so I think he did play to that base. Um, I mean, so far as to call on, on organizations like the Proud Boys to stand by with just one of the most horrific moments that we have a president it was pretty shocking <laughs> white supremacists to stand by i mean it's terrifying right and people are rightfully terrified um and i and so uh, on the other side joe biden it was very interesting i think you're right that trump's methodology to interrupt joe biden was was um by design i think you know it's done i wrote yesterday about um Remembering that Joe Biden has a stutter, right? That he actually has a language um, disorder uh, that has followed him since childhood. Um, I think it was designed to trip him up. Um, and I think Joe, he made me think of like Uncle Joe, you know? Like there were moments in that debate where all he could do is shake his head and think, you know, you could see on his face, like, un this guy is unbelievable, right? And I think actually so many of us and so many uh, people watching must have been like, I, I get it, Joe, like, just shake my head, right? Because what else are we going to do? Um, I did those few moments that Biden was able to discuss issues, which there were a few. I was listening for them, right? Because, of course, Joe Biden certainly wasn't my pick, um, not the Working Families Party pick or Citizen Action. Um, we supported Elizabeth Warren, many supported Bernie Sanders, and so I was listening for those issues. And so I think Joe uh, Biden named a number um, that are not in line, certainly where we are. We'd like him to move to the left on many of these things, but definitely defines the difference. When he talked about taxes and taxing the wealthy versus Trump's $1.3 trillion tax cuts to his rich friends, I thought Joe made a really strong position on taxing the wealthy, which is the only way that we are going to get ourselves out of this pandemic and economic crisis. Um, he talked about defending health care and the Affordable Care Act and the fact that the job loss has resulted in millions of Americans losing their health insurance, which is catastrophic during a health crisis. Um, so there was, I mean, we, he talked about climate, right, and acknowledged climate um, the, the uh, climate catastrophe that we're in as Trump denies science. So I was grateful for those moments, but it was so uh, shallow and, and without the depth that is so necessary. Um, you know, it was, it was very hard to watch.
right? I, I can't ever recall or remember someone standing 10, 15 feet away from the President of the United States and having the President referred to as this clown. I, I, I was kind of shocked. I mean, just, and, and the fact that the two nominees were reduced to just name calling, like I said, you know, like they were on the corner of Amsterdam and 59th Street <laughs> or Columbus Circle and 59th Street standing in front of Trump Tower just going at it on the on the corner, which uh, was just really, uh, to me, uh, 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 just shameful. And uh, uh, just, uh, to me, was a, a, a also just showed the lack of respect uh, towards the, the process that's been established, lack of respect uh, towards our, 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 our democracy and allowing someone who has an opposing opinion to be able to articulate it to the American public so that those who haven't made up their minds, because you and I have made up our minds, we had made up our minds uh, as of, um, you know, uh, January 21st, uh, 2017, the moment he took office. But uh, those many millions of Americans who haven't made up their mind or the people that were thinking that do they give him a chance again? Because there are those people, as we know, that are more than willing to give him another chance uh, to not have an opposing opinion uh, be fully articulated. Uh, just, just I was, I was disappointed in that. Not surprised, not shocked, but just disappointed. And that it went on for ninety minutes to the the point to that a seasoned jur journalist. Uh, like Chris Wallace could not could not take control at mostly any point during the debate. I mean, just the uh, all the times of Mr. Vice President, Mr. President, Mr. President. It was that was kind of funny. And if there was a drinking game, um, there would have been a lot of alcohol poisoning uh, come Wednesday morning because uh, if every time Trump interrupted, you had to uh, take a shot. Uh, many people would have been sickened if they weren't already. Well, and I, you know, I think for, um, you know, it's interesting as, as I step back and think about certainly voting here in New York, I think about the presidential race. Um, I think that, and to your earlier, po your point just now, Paul, about the millions of Americans and maybe even many in New York who are kind of, they're so disgusted by all of it that they're wondering if they should even vote. Right. Like they just want to crawl away and like forget about the world. And I can completely sympathize. And on the left. Right. We do progressive politics in New York. And, you know, there was this not so long ago, amazing primary. Right. Democratic presidential primary. And now here we are all meeting to unify around uh, Joe Biden as the Democratic nominee. And that's given us a really interesting task in New York State because there are many uh, Democrats or unregistered folks who lean left who are really leery of supporting Biden because of, of positions he has taken that we do not agree with or positions he's taken that are not 
um, bold enough for the times that we face, right? And so it's, it's given us a lot to think about. And so um, I'm, I'm the co-chair, I'm one of the co-chairs of the Working Families Party, as you mentioned. And we are launching and in the midst of a very large campaign in New York to ask people to vote for Joe Biden on the Working Families Party line. Remember, in New York, we have fusion voting. So you can vote for candidates on the, on the third party, WFP line, and they're still voted or counted in the vote total. Right for the for the Democrats, that's usually also uh, the the same person. So yep. we're encouraging people to vote for Joe on the Working Families Party line because it's a, a really great way to send a very clear message that we want Trump out. Um, we don't agree with a, a any part of that, um, but that we also have a set of values and a set of policies and principles that we want Joe Biden to to. To use as a, a like buy into and, and move forward in the Oval Office, and then of course we have a, many other important elections in New York, right, including congressional races and state senate and assembly. Um, and I, you know, so we're certainly encouraging people to vote vote um, early and uh, vote on the Working Families Party line, so we can really talk about the issues that are truly impacting our lives that they didn't get to talk about in that debate. That's that's a, a great thing, and yes, we got to remind our listeners to do so. Um, one of the things that you mentioned um, as we're getting out the vote, as we're approaching November 3rd, what are some of the things that our listeners and young people and others can do to assist folks in our battleground areas? Um, I know our votes here in New York um, count. And, and, and count towards the Electoral College. But what are some of the things that we can do uh, right now from home to uh, help turn some of those uh, states like Wisconsin, like Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, yeah. uh, that uh, Florida, that uh, voted for uh, President Barack Obama in uh, 2008 and uh, helped guide him back to victory in, in 2012, that the Democrats and, and the progressives lost in, in 2016. What are some of the things that we could do right now to uh, assist those folks? Yeah, so we are, um, Citizen Action of New York is, um, works closely with affiliate of People's Action. Um, and I'd love for your listeners to go check out peoplesaction.org um, because they have a really, um, really fantastic and unique program around how we, um, both defeat Trump, but also heal, heal America, right? Like actually um, have respectful, non-judgmental conversations where you people can get on the phone and talk to voters in those states um, in, a, in what we call a deep canvas, really, really have conversations with them. Not your typical, hey, vote for Joe Biden kind of conversation, but really uh, what's going on for you and your family? What does this election mean to you? Uh, what do you feel like you need, right, to be happening in this country? And talk to voters in those states about really the, what what they missed in the debate. What is really the difference between not only these two candidates, but the philosophies in which they come out of? And how is it going to affect you and your family, you know? 
And so People's Action is, is doing this incredible program where you can call from home, you can send text messages from home, um, but that you really are connecting with voters who need these conversations, right? We can't door knock like we were. Um, and, you know, I, from uh, our volunteers are, are doing this work and talking about some really impactful conversations that people are changing hearts and minds, right? Because we're taking the time and care to talk to people where they're at and not make assumptions and, and be really respectful um, because people are just, they're hurting, right? They're, they're facing the tragedy of what COVID has done either health-wise, economically. They're facing the tragedies of, of increased drug and alcohol use um, and the impacts of kids not being in school. Absolutely. All of these really, you know, impactful issues facing um, our families is, is the kind of care we want to use as we go into election day and beyond, right? Groups like People's Action, like Citizen Action, we don't just do election day, right? We're going to be there on the other side of election day, inviting people into the civic process of creating different dynamics for their own lives in the public policies that we, we create. You know, that's that's funny that you, you mentioned that. And, you know, I was a part of uh, some of those efforts um, as, you know, you're looking for ways to get out there and be supportive of what we can do. And I uh, joined a group called uh, Progressive Schenectady. And uh, on, it was a Facebook group. And uh, it, this was a, uh, a, a diverse group of Democrats looking to, you know, go beyond the status quo and bring new and diverse and different uh, and, and, and multifaceted voices to the uh, Schenectady Democratic Committee and the party and, and, uh, and start doing some work. And, and, and one of the things that uh, we were doing um, over the past few weeks and months is calling into Maine, calling to uh, uh, Republicans. Uh, uh, and, and I can tell you that from my time uh, making those phone calls with Progressive Schenectady, two Republicans, um, largely seniors, um, you know, they were very, very unhappy with Susan Collins and her just changing positions or, or siding with Trump, but, but almost to a person, they admitted that they were very, very, very um, disappointed in the actions of Donald Trump. You know, um, many of them were not going to support him, and that was what we were calling into uh, Maine to get people to do, not vote for him. But to a person, they were all disappointed, and many of them were not, were not voting for him. And uh, we'll see what happens uh, uh, come November 3rd. Um, as, we, as we do that, and as we're trying to get people to uh, change and or to come out and vote, what are some of the issues that people should vote for that um, affect them here in New York. I mean, it is a presidential year, but it's also a federal and state year. What are some of the things that uh, Citizen Action progressives and, and the working families would like people to uh, be cognizant of 
here in, in New York? Sure. I think there are two which match actually may, maybe all across America, but uh, here in New York, we have an opportunity to elect um, elect officials at all levels of government who I think are going to tackle two of the biggest issues facing uh, New Yorkers today. One is um, the need to increase revenue in the state budget and fully fund our communities. Um, so that means making, you know, re-looking at the tax code in New York, taxing the very wealthy um, who have received huge tax breaks under this president, um, and making sure that we now, and this happens at the federal level, too, right? We need members of Congress who are going to go in and make sure that the, the right kind of stimulus and support money goes into states. But then at the state level, we have got to turn our regressive tax structure on its head and make sure those at the very top, the very wealthy, are paying that their share um, and that we're investing in communities that have, have been ignored and really disinvested in. Right, particularly black and brown communities, upstate communities. Um, you know, we know our schools have been massively underfunded, um, particularly in black and brown communities across New York State for decades. Uh, and we need the dollars. And so uh, the the campaigner, you got to vote for people who are ready to talk about economic inequality, uh, to talk about the super super wealthy who are making billions even in the midst of a pandemic, um, are paying what they owe into our society to make us all stronger. The second issue I would say, Paul, is <coughs> public safety and reimagining public safety and policing. And, you know, kind of the, the what the movement for Black Lives calls invest, divest, right? Divesting from structures that are um, punitive um, and really investing in community needs, whether that be housing security, mental health, um, crisis response, and long-term um, sustainability, um, so many aspects of, of what we need to do to heal our communities um, and protect our communities and all in those communities. So I think, you know, paying attention to who's got the right ideas for how we relook at um, policing and um, in our justice system. Uh, is, is an important step for New Yorkers to take. You know, I'm glad that you uh, mentioned that because that is something very important uh, that we as progressives need to get that uh, word out, especially as it relates to policing and criminal justice. And we've got to let people know and remind people and or, more importantly, educate people as we're in the last 10 minutes of today's program is to let them know that, you know, we're not talking about eliminating police departments. We're not talking about when when we say defund or, or, or divest or 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 reimagine our police departments and law enforcement systems. We're not talking about eliminating them. We're talking about how they approach our diverse communities, what their priorities uh, have been and how it's been unjust or uneven applications or even in some cases illegal um, and and just asking for justice and freedom and then maybe diverting resources away from being punitive or costly court systems or costly 
foster care systems or costly uh, mental health systems where so many of our people in New York, as you and I both know and have been advocating for years, that so many people that are in prison that really needed help, they didn't need to be in prison and or in jail. Um, these are the things that our young people and others need to be uh, paying attention to and uh, coming out uh, to vote for. Um, so with that being said, Jess, is it also then maybe letting people know about who their law enforcement uh, elected officials are, like our sheriffs, uh, like our district attorneys, like our uh, judges who actually then have to met out uh, the sentencing and maybe you know having diversity as well in those positions? A thousand percent. I mean, we've gotten more involved in district attorney's races and um, sheriff's races here where I'm at in Ulster County electing a new sheriff last year in 2019. Right. Um, you know, it, it really makes a difference, but as do all of the all of the representatives, right? Our county legislature, our city council um, members, they're all part of figuring out uh, how are we serving the community in the way the community truly needs to be served. And that when we talk about public safety, we're talking about the whole public, right? Not just part of the public. Um, yeah, I think so much of it is about um, making sure the right and well-trained people are responding to the needs of the community, right? What, what kind of systems can we build um, that help people face the true needs that they have. I think Rochester, we have a, a chapter in Rochester, and um, after the, the tragic death of Danielle Prude has really, you know, everybody's playing their, the, their rightful role in response the way they need to respond. But it's fundamentally reimagining mental health response and crisis, yes. um, I think will be a key factor in coming out of that tragedy. Um, and, you know, I love that everybody is finding their place in the movement right now. And if that means being on the street in protest, excellent. If that means figuring out the public policy alternative, excellent. If that means voting, if that means it's like all of the above, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody can, can, there's so many options. And to the extent that we want people to take care of themselves, um, mentally, emotionally, physically, right. um, and you can engage in all of those ways. Um, that's what it's going to take to to really move us from this this dark place in in this country into a place where we can all really share the values of of compassion and justice and fairness that that we know we believe in. You know, I I know that the Citizen Action uh, statewide board recently had a, a meeting. Uh, of its leadership to talk about what's going on. Um, what is the climate around the state right now as it relates to uh, civil rights, social justice, and uh, uh, human rights, um, especially given the, the um, unfortunate incidents that uh, have taken place here, continue to take place here? Uh, what's, what's, what's the mood? Yeah, it's, it's just terribly challenging, right? Our uh, black and brown uh, people on our staff, um, in our leadership, are facing, you know, turning on the news or facing in their everyday lives, 
um, racism that is just so pervasive throughout our society. And, uh, and, and white allies and leaders and accomplices uh, are needing to figure out how to, how to be in, solid, in true solidarity, right, um, and take on um, racism and white supremacy culture. And it is a, you know, Citizen Action has made a deep commitment to racial justice decades ago. And I think for us as a social justice and racial justice organization, like so many others who um, have those values, are in a time period of needing to recommit, to relearn, right? Young people are, are coming up teaching all kinds of new ways and critical ways of, of thinking about um, how we truly combat racism uh, and shift away from white supremacy culture and patriarchy in our society. And so it's a deep, um, a deep place of needing to learn and listen uh, and collaborate and study our history and talk to our elders, um, but also talk to and listen to the young people um, and everybody who, who is experiencing this together so we can really, you know, create the kind of organization uh, and the kind of movement we want to be, um, where it's truly equitable, um, and we're really in solidarity across all of our, our differences. Uh, so we can have these really important conversations around who and how we want to be in the world. That is so great. Um, so as we're in the last three minutes of our program, um, let's move forward in our crystal ball to January 21st, 2021. And Ooh, we have a new president uh, in office. What's the first piece of legislation uh, that you would like to see him enact and or work on? I think it will, will unfortunately, because I don't think they'll do it before, will have to be um, uh, a massive investment to states and public institutions, right? A, a pandemic recovery package, if you will, um, to truly the magnitude that is necessary um, to, to get people out and back, uh, you know, making sure people are, are safely housed and have a safe and affordable housing, healthcare needs met. So a really large scale package of um, relief, I think will be critical. Um, but I'm gonna say my second, which was um, the first piece of legislation that um, Congress passed in 2018 under the under the new Congress, um, the House Democrats passed HR1, um, right circle right back to democracy, right? HR1 was a whole gamut of voting rights and campaign finance reforms that get big money out of politics, and a le piece of legislation that begins to really repair and rebuild our basic dem democracy and democratic institutions and. Um, I certainly hope that's at the top of their list as well. Absolutely. And uh, I really thank everyone for uh, listening to our program today. This has uh, been Paul Webster with the Shades of Progress podcast. And we've been joined today by Jess Wisniewski, uh, co-executive director of Citizen Action of New York and one of the co-directors of the Working Families Party. I hope everyone enjoys this, and I hope they come back. Jess, it's been a pleasure having you, and look forward to having you again. Thank you.
today on Shades of Progress, and my guest is Jessica Wisniewski, co-executive director of Citizen Action of New York and co-executive, uh, well, co-director of the Working Families Party uh, of New York State as well, and we were just getting to a discussion of the presidential debate that took place uh, this past Tuesday in Cleveland, Ohio, between uh, President uh, Donald Trump and Democratic uh, nominee uh, Joe Biden. And it just, uh, I, have, I have to say that, you know, after many years of watching presidential debates or, you know, following uh, national and, and, like yourself, statewide politics here in New York, that had to be absolutely one of the most uh, dreadful uh, debates that I have ever heard um, in, in my uh, in my in my career, just because of the um, the combative nature, it wasn't really a debate. It was almost an argument on on the street corner in Manhattan <laughs> between two two uh, opposing uh, uh, persons, uh, just really just dissing each other. Uh, it really wasn't a debate uh, where we heard. Uh, the differences between the parties' platforms uh, on education, on health care, on civil rights and social justice, on women's rights, on the courts, on just the so many uh, important issues impacting everyday Americans and, and our standing around the world. And we just didn't have an opportunity to hear that. And I thought it was intentional. Just to avoid everything, deny, 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 lie, call names, and and deny, deny, deny some more, um, make up some facts, and deny, deny, lie, call names, and and interrupt. Uh, what did you think about the the debate? And am I wrong in my opinion? <laughs> no, I would agree with everything you just said. Um, definitely, kind of a train wreck to watch. I mean, difficult you know, actually harmful for people to watch in some ways um, at just what how, what a sad place we're in as a country. Um, you know, Trump was playing to his base who like a bully. They, they like that he is mean. They like that he um, interrupts and is disrespectful. Um, and so I think he did play to that base. Um, I mean, so far as to call on, on organizations like the Proud Boys to stand by with just one of the most horrific moments that we have a president it was pretty shocking. <laughs> white supremacists to stand by. I mean, it's terrifying, right? And people are rightfully terrified. Um, and, I, and so uh, on the other side, Joe Biden, it was very interesting. I think you're right that Trump's methodology to interrupt Joe Biden was, was – um, by design, I think, you know, it's gone. I wrote yesterday about um, remembering that Joe Biden has a stutter, right? That he actually has a language um, disorder uh, that has followed him since childhood. Um, I think it was designed to trip him up. 
Um, and I think Joe, he made me think of like Uncle Joe, you know, like there were moments in that debate where all he could do is shake his head and think, you know, you could see on his face, like un this guy is unbelievable, right? And I think actually so many of us and so many uh, people watching must have been like, I, I get it, Joe, like just shake my head, right? Because what else are we going to do? Um, I did the few moments that Biden was able to discuss issues, which there were a few I was listening for them, right? Because, of course, Joe Biden certainly wasn't my pick, um, not the Working Families Party pick or Citizen Action. Um, we supported Elizabeth Warren. Many supported Bernie Sanders. And so I was listening for those issues. And so I think Joe uh, Biden named a number um, that are not in line, certainly where we are. We'd like him to move to the left on many of these things, but definitely defines the difference. When he talked about taxes and taxing the wealthy versus Trump's $1.3 trillion tax cuts to his rich friends, I thought Joe made a really strong position on taxing the wealthy, which is the only way that we are going to get ourselves out of this pandemic and economic crisis. Um, he talked about defending health care and the Affordable Care Act and the fact that the job loss has resulted in millions of Americans losing their health insurance, which is catastrophic during a health crisis. Um, so there was, I mean, we, he talked about climate, right, and acknowledged climate um, the, the uh, climate catastrophe that we're in as Trump denies science. So I was grateful for those moments, but it was so uh, shallow and, and without the depth that is so necessary. Um, you know, it was, it was very hard to watch. Right. I, I can't ever recall or remember someone standing 10, 15 feet away from the president of the United States and having the president referred to as this clown. I, I I was kind of shocked. I mean, just, and and the fact that the two nominees were reduced to just name calling, like I said, you know, like they were on the corner of Amsterdam and 59th Street. <laughs> or Columbus Circle and 59th Street standing in front of Trump Tower just going at it on the on the corner which uh was just really uh to me uh 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 just shameful and uh, uh just uh, to me was a, a, a also just showed the lack of respect uh towards the the process that's been established lack of respect uh towards our 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 democracy and allowing someone who has an opposing opinion to be able to articulate it to the American public so that those who haven't made up their minds, because you and I have made up our minds, we had made up our minds uh, as of, um, you know, uh, January 21st, uh, 2017, the moment he took office. But uh, those many millions of Americans who haven't made up their mind or the people that were thinking that do they give him a chance again? Because there are those people, as we know, that are more than willing to give him another chance uh, to not have an opposing opinion uh, be fully articulated. Uh, just just I was I was disappointed in that. Not surprised, not shocked, 
but just disappointed. And that it went on for 90 minutes to the the point to that a seasoned journalist uh, like Chris Wallace could not could not take control at mostly any point during the debate. I mean, just the uh, all the times that Mr. Vice President, Mr. President, Mr. President, it was that was kind of funny and. If there was a drinking game, um, there would have been a lot of alcohol poisoning uh, come Wednesday morning because uh, if every time Trump interrupted, you had to uh, take a shot, uh, yeah, many people sure. would have been sickened if they weren't already. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I think for, um, you know, it's interesting as, as I step back and think about certainly voting here in New York, I think about the presidential race. Um I think that, and to your earlier your point just now, Paul, about the millions of Americans and maybe even many in New York who are kind of, they're so disgusted by all of it that they're wondering if they should even vote, right? Like, they just want to crawl away and, like, forget about the world, and I can completely sympathize. And on the left, right, we do progressive politics in New York, and, you know, there was this not so long ago, amazing primary, right? Democratic presidential primary. And now here we are all meeting to unify around uh, Joe Biden as the Democratic nominee. And that's given us a really interesting task in New York State because there are many uh, Democrats or unregistered folks who lean left who are really leery of supporting Biden because of of positions he has taken that we do not agree with or positions he's taken that are not um, bold enough for the times that we face, right? And so it's, it's given us a lot to think about. And so um, I'm, I'm the co-chair, one of the co-chairs of the Working Families Party, as you mentioned, and we are launching and in the midst of a very large campaign in New York to ask people to vote for Joe Biden on the Working Families Party line. Remember, in New York, we have fusion voting. So you can vote for candidates on the on the third party WFP line, and they're still voted or counted in the vote total, right? For the for the Democrats, that's usually also uh, the the same person. So yep. we're encouraging people to vote for Joe on the Working Families Party line because it's a, a really great way to send a very clear message that we want Trump out. Um, we don't agree with a, a any part of that. Um, but that we also have a set of values and a set of policies and principles that we want Joe Biden to 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 use and to, uh, like buy into and and move forward in the Oval Office. And then, of course, we have a, many other important elections in New York, right, including congressional races and state Senate and assembly. Um, and I you know, so we're certainly encouraging people to vote vote um, early and uh, vote on the Working Families Party line so we can really talk about the issues that are truly impacting our lives that they didn't get to talk about in that debate. That's that's a, a great thing. And yes, we got to remind our listeners to do so. Um, one of the things that you mentioned um, as we're getting out the vote, as we're approaching November 3rd, what are some of the things that our listeners and young people and others can do to assist folks in our battleground areas. Um, I know our votes here in New York um, count, 
and, and, and count towards the Electoral College. But what are some of the things that we can do uh, right now from home to uh, help turn some of those uh, states like Wisconsin, like Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, yeah. uh, that uh, Florida, that uh, voted for uh, President Barack Obama in uh, 2008 and uh, helped guide him back to victory in, in 2012, that the Democrats and, and the progressives lost in, in 2016. What are some of the things that we could do right now to uh, assist those folks? Yeah, so we are, um, Citizen Action of New York is, um, works closely with affiliate of People's Action. Um, and I'd love for your listeners to go check out peoplesaction.org um, because they have a really, um, really fantastic and unique program around how we um, both defeat Trump but also heal, heal America, right? Like actually um, have respectful, non-judgmental conversation where you people can get on the phone and talk to voters in those states um, in, a, in what we call a deep canvas, really, really have conversations with them. Not your typical, hey, vote for Joe Biden kind of conversation, but really uh, what's going on for you and your family? What does this election mean to you? Uh, what do you feel like you need, right, to be happening in this country? And talk to voters in those states about really the, what what they missed in the debate. What is really the difference between not only these two candidates, but the philosophies in which they come out of? And how is it going to affect you and your family, you know? And so People's Action is, is doing this incredible program where you can call from home, you can send text messages from home, um, but that you really are connecting with voters who need these conversations, right? We can't door knock like we were. Um, and, you know, I, from uh, our volunteers are, are doing this work and talking about some really impactful conversations that people are changing hearts and minds, right? Because we're taking the time and care to talk to people where they're at and not make assumptions and, and be really respectful um, because people are just, they're hurting, right? They're, they're facing the tragedy of what COVID has done, either health-wise, economically. They're facing the tragedies of, of increased drug and alcohol use um, and the impacts of kids not being in school. Absolutely. All of these really, you know, impactful issues facing um, our families is, is the kind of care we want to use as we go into election day and beyond, right? Groups like People's Action, like Citizen Action, we don't just do election day, right? We're going to be there on the other side of election day, inviting people into the civic process of creating different dynamics for their own lives in the public policies that we, we create. You know, that's that's funny that you, you mentioned that. And, you know, I was a part of uh, some of those efforts um, as, you know, you're looking for ways to get out there and be supportive of what we can do. And I uh, joined a group called uh, Progressive Schenectady. And uh, mm -hmm. on, it was a Facebook group. And uh, it, this was a, uh, a, a diverse group of Democrats looking to, you know, go beyond the status quo and bring new and diverse and different uh, and, and, and multi 
multifaceted voices to the uh, Schenectady Democratic Committee and the party and, and, uh, and start doing some work. And, and, and one of the things that uh, we were doing um, over the past few weeks and months is calling into Maine, calling to uh, uh, Republicans. Uh, uh, and, and I can tell you that from my time uh, making those phone calls with Progressive Schenectady, two Republicans, um, largely seniors, um, you know, they were very, very unhappy with Susan Collins and her just changing positions or, or siding with Trump, but, but almost to a person, they admitted that they were very, very, very um, disappointed in the actions of Donald Trump. You know, um, many of them were not going to support him, and that was what we were calling into uh, Maine to get people to do, not vote for him. But to a person, they were all disappointed, and many of them were not, were not voting for him. And uh, we'll see what happens uh, uh, come November 3rd. Um, as, we, as we do that, and as we're trying to get people to uh, change and or to come out and vote, what are some of the issues that people should vote for that um, affect them here in New York? I mean, it is a presidential year, but it's also a federal and state year. What are some of the things that uh, Citizen Action progressives and, and the working families would like people to uh, be cognizant of here in, in New York? Sure. I think there are two which match actually may, maybe all across America, but uh, here in New York, we have an opportunity to elect um, elect officials at all levels of government who I think are going to tackle two of the biggest issues facing uh, New Yorkers today. One is um, the need to increase revenue in the state budget and fully fund our communities. Um, so that means making, you know, re-looking at the tax code in New York, taxing the very wealthy um, who have received huge tax breaks under this president, um, and making sure that we, not, and this happens at the federal level too, right? We need members of Congress who are going to go in and make sure that the, the right kind of stimulus and support money goes into states. But then at the state level, we have got to turn our regressive tax structure on its head and make sure those at the very top, the very wealthy, are paying that their share, um, and that we're investing in communities that have, have been ignored and really disinvested in, right? Particularly black and brown communities, upstate communities. Um, you know, we know our schools have been massively underfunded, um, particularly in black and brown communities across New York State for decades, uh, and we need the dollars. And so, uh, the the campaigner, you got to vote for people who are ready to talk about economic inequality, uh, to talk about the super, super wealthy who are making billions, even in the midst of a pandemic, um, are paying what they owe into our society to make us all stronger. The second issue I would say, Paul, is <coughs> public safety and reimagining public safety and policing. And, you know, kind of the, the what the movement for black lives calls invest, divest, right? 
divesting from structures that are um, punitive um, and really investing in community needs, whether that be housing security, mental health um, crisis response and long-term um, sustainability, um, so many aspects of, of what we need to do to heal our communities um, and protect our communities and all in those communities. So I think, you know, paying attention to who's got the right ideas for how we relook at um, policing and um, in our justice system uh, is, is an important step for New Yorkers to take. You know, I'm glad that you uh, mentioned that because that is something very important uh, that we as progressives need to get that uh, word out, especially as it relates to policing and criminal justice. And we've got to let people know and remind people and or more importantly, educate people as we're in the last 10 minutes of today's program is to let them know that, you know, we're not talking about eliminating police departments. We're not talking about when, when we say defund or, or, or divest or, or, or reimagine our police departments and law enforcement systems. We're not talking about eliminating them. We're talking about how they approach our diverse communities, what their priorities uh, have been, and how it's been unjust or uneven applications or even in some cases illegal um, and and just asking for justice and freedom and then maybe diverting resources away from being punitive or costly court systems or costly foster care systems or costly uh, mental health systems where so many of our people in New York, as you and I both know and have been advocating for years, that so many people that are in prison that really needed help, they didn't need to be in prison and or in jail. Um, these are the things that our young people and others need to be uh, paying attention to and uh, coming out uh, to vote for. Um, so with that being said, Jess, is it also then maybe letting people know about who their law enforcement uh, elected officials are, like our sheriffs, uh, like our district attorneys, like our uh, judges who actually then have to met out uh, the sentencing and maybe, you know, having diversity as well in those positions? A, a thousand percent. I mean, we've gotten more involved in district attorney's races and um, sheriff's races here where I met in Ulster County electing a new sheriff last year in 2019. Right. Um, you know, it, it really makes a difference, but as do all of the, all of the representatives, right? Our county legislature, our city council um, members, they're all part of figuring out uh, how are we serving the community in the way the community truly needs to be served. And that when we talk about public safety, we're talking about the whole public, right? Not just part of the public. Um, yeah, I think so much of it is about um, making sure the right and well-trained people are responding to the needs of the community, right? What, what kind of systems can we build um, that help people face the true needs that they have. I think Rochester, we, we have a, a chapter in Rochester, and um, after the, the tragic death of Daniel Prude has really 
you know, everybody's playing their the, their rightful role in response the way they need to respond. But at fundamentally reimagining mental health response and crisis, yes. um, I think will be a key factor in coming out of that tragedy. Um, and, you know, I, I love that everybody is finding their place in the movement right now. And if that means being on the street in protest, excellent. If that means figuring out the public policy alternative, excellent. If that means voting, if that means it's like all of the above, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody can, can, there's so many options. And to the extent that we want people to take care of themselves, um, mentally, emotionally, physically, um, and you can engage in all of those ways, um, that's what it's going to take to, to really move us from this, this dark place in, in this country into a place where we can all really share the values of, of compassion and justice and fairness that, that we know we believe in. You know, I, I know that the Citizen Action uh, Statewide Board recently had a, a meeting uh, of its leadership to talk about what's going on. Um, what is the climate around the state right now as it relates to uh, civil rights, social justice, and uh, uh Human rights, um, especially given the the um, unfortunate incidents that uh, have taken place here, continue to take place here. Uh, what's 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 the mood? Yeah, it's it's just terribly challenging, right? Our uh, black and brown uh, people on our staff, um, in our leadership, are facing, you know, turning on the news or facing in their everyday lives. Um, racism that is just so pervasive throughout our society and uh, and and white allies and leaders and accomplices uh, are needing to figure out how to how to be in solid in true solidarity right um, and take on um, racism and white supremacy culture and it is a you know citizen action has made a deep commitment to racial justice decades ago and I think for us as a social justice and racial justice organization, like so many others to um, have those values, are in a time period of needing to recommit, to relearn, right? Young people are, are coming up teaching all kinds of new ways and critical ways of, of thinking about um, how we truly combat racism. Uh, and shift away from white supremacy culture and patriarchy in our society. And so it's a deep um, a deep place of needing to learn and listen uh, and collaborate and study our history and talk to our elders, um, but also talk to and listen to the young people um, and everybody who, who is experiencing this together so we can really, you know, create the kind of organization uh, and the kind of movement we want to be, um, where it's truly equitable, um, and we're really in solidarity across all of our our differences, uh, so we can have these really important conversations around who and how we want to be in the world. That is so great. Um, so as we're in the last three minutes of our program, um, let's move forward in our crystal ball to January. 21st, 2021, and Ooh, we have a new president uh, in office. 
what's the first piece of legislation uh, that you would like to see him enact and or work on? I think it will, will, unfortunately, because I don't think they'll do it before, will have to be um, uh, a massive investment to states and public institutions, right? A, a pandemic recovery package, if you will, um, to truly the magnitude that is necessary um, to, to get people out and back, uh, you know, making sure people are, are safely housed and have a safe and affordable housing, healthcare needs met. So a really large scale package of um, relief, I think will be critical, um, but I'm gonna say my second, which was um, the first piece of legislation that um, Congress passed in 2018 under the under the new Congress, um, the House Democrats passed HR1, um, right circle right back to democracy, right? HR1 was a whole gamut of voting rights and campaign finance reforms that get big money out of politics, and a le- piece of legislation that begins to really repair and rebuild our basic dem- democracy and democratic institutions and. Um, I certainly hope that's at the top of their list as well. Absolutely. And uh, I really thank everyone for uh, listening to our program today. This has been Paul Webster with the Shades of Progress podcast. And we've been joined today by Jess Wisniewski, co-executive director of Citizen Action of New York and one of the co-directors of the Working Families Party. I hope everyone enjoys this, and I hope they come back. Jess, it's been a pleasure having you, and look forward to having you again. Thanks so much, Paul. All righty. Are you still there?